Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I have to tell you, I know I, I told you last week, uh, I got that Fitbit. And uh, I'm telling you, I, it's like my new addiction. I swear to God, it's like, I don't even want to go out. I mean, I go to the gym. I, I missed the gym this morning because I had to record the show. And we have our landlord coming in because we had some water damage. So I couldn't go to the gym. And if you don't know if people aren't familiar, the Fitbit tracks how much you walk. And I want to get that 10,000 steps because Joanne does it too. And she went to Griffith Park and hiked the other day. And she kicked my ass. She had like 17,000 steps in one day. So I sit there and I look at it throughout the day and it's it's like an addiction because you sit there, it tracks the water you drink. So I've been drinking like 90 ounces of water a day. My skin feels great. It tracks your steps. And so what I do is, because we live on the second floor and we have a two level, if it's getting later at night and I don't have my 10 steps up and down, I'll go up and down the steps a bunch of times. So if you want to get in shape, people, seriously, I mean, I hate the gym, but I mean, I'll go in for like, I do a half an hour in a treadmill in the morning. That's it. But you got to get one of these Fitbits. I I think it's like a hundred bucks and it's, you clip it on your waist, on your belt and you don't see it. And I'm telling you, you get, you get really inspired to get to your levels. So that's all I'm going to say. Do that. Cause I mean, I'm down, I'm the lightest and I've, I've always been a good shit, but I'm the lightest right now. I'm, I weighed myself this morning. I'm 162.4 pounds. That is the lightest I've been, I think since my freshman year in college when I was like 165 and I'm 51 people. So anyway, enough about the show. We have a great guest. I've gone back and forth trying to get this gentleman on my show because he's been, his movie's been waiting to come out and the studio kept pushing it back and I knew him from TV and I, I, you know, he's one of those people we had talked on Facebook and he just brought it up on October at Thanksgiving. I was at a store. I was at Party City in Burbank and I hear this voice and I remember his voice from the one TV show he is in and I look and I go, oh my God. And so I introduced myself. My guest is Eddie Jemison. How you doing? Hey. Hey, how you doing? Just for the record, I don't know what you weighed in high school, but you look great. In fact, I, you know, I saw a guy yesterday. I, I was getting a little bit of a gut, and someone said, yeah. you, you lost weight. But uh, but that was weird when I saw you, because yeah. I, you know, I knew you from Hung, and we'll talk about that. But yeah. I was sitting there, and we had talked back and forth, and it was it was a whole thing of the studio. I want to talk about that, because you know you, you got the project done, yeah. and it must be the worst feeling. You know, let's, let's talk, you know we'll, we'll talk about your career, but let's talk about the movie first, because yeah, I want to find sure. out. You're, now, well, first of all, you're from New Orleans. Yeah, I'm originally from New Orleans. My whole family lives there. Everybody, I go back twice a year, three times a year. We shot King of Herrings there. And you're an LSU guy. And I went to LSU. It's a, yeah, it's a big part of my who I am. Now, did you did you study acting in LSU? I did. There was a there was. A, do you know the Mark Taper Forum? Yeah, yeah. There was a director from the Mark Taper Forum named John Dennis who went to LSU and started a program there that all these guys that acted in my movie. We're in. We were all in together. He was kind of our mentor. His name is John Dennison. He's dead now, but uh, he he was uh, he was special. Yeah, New Orleans is a it's a big part of me. Now, so you started acting in college. You started the program, right? Yeah. Now, what was that like? I mean, you know, did you always know you wanted to get into acting? I mean, because I know you also play music. Did you always yeah. sit there? When did you find out that you wanted to be an actor? Well, I didn't really do it until high school. You know, I, I was small, so and I wanted to play baseball. I wanted to do anything, and I was just too small to play any of the sports. So, kind of, not a, not a, as in desperation, but as an alternative, I thought, well, let me try out for the school play, and it required an English accent, which I happened to, I I, I was obsessed with Sir with Love that film okay. so I mastered this English accent and even though my acting was terrible they're like oh he's got the dialect give him the part so that's how I started but I always liked play acting as a kid I mean I was always a flighty imaginative kid now the guys you uh, that are in this movie they're all buddies a year from college or yeah. it's, it's all it's, so they're all New Orleans actors right and, and they're th- still down there now except for uh, John Meese he's an actor here in LA now, okay, well, I want to talk about the movie. I want, now I want to get back, because I want to hear about Hong and all that, because sure, I love yeah. that show. But the movie, and if people, it's King of Hirings, and it comes out on uh, iTunes, and um, and it's on iTunes, and what else? Apple TV today. Okay, and it comes out, well, we record- so 20th. Be, so yeah, 20th, so it will be, people, when you hear the show, it'll be out. Yeah. And, uh, and I actually, I was fortunate enough, I, I saw a Vimeo copy of it, uh, you sent me a link, and it was very good. And I'm, you know, you. I'm someone who, you know, and what, what was, what, the only problem was, I had to watch it on my computer, and I just, I had, my computer had died and I, ha- I used to have like a 
big big ass screen, but then I got a smaller screen. Yeah. So it was just it was it's it's and but it captivated me watching it on the screen. But I think it would be better if you like rented it and watched it through your box on the TV because it, it's it's very nicely filmed. It's very it's dark and it's edgy and it's moody. And that's the thing. It's like what did and you, it's pretty. Yeah, I know. I'm saying, yeah, well, that's funny. In a bleak kind of way. Yeah, I mean, and it, it, it showcases the city. And I've always, I had a guest on uh, Lewis Harrison, who's from yeah. uh, New Orleans, and he said, New Orleans is beautiful to film in if you film it right, which you did and which True Detective did. If, you, if, it, if it looks, you know, like he said, because he's a New Orleans guy, you know, some people shoot things wrong, but you got the the feel of it. You know, you got the feel. Cool. That's good. You know, we tried to, we tried to keep any element that was quintessentially New Orleans out of it, you know, no shots of the dome. No one mentioned uh, beignets. Right. None of that stuff. But you feel when you say it's in New Orleans, you you feel it because it just That's feels. Good. I've heard New Orleans is sort of. Gr- I've never been there. I should go, but I've heard it's sort of gritty. You know, it's, it's not. You know, there's there's the, the French the French Quarter. Yeah, it's then there's gritty. Some, it's yeah. funky. It's eccentric. And it, it's old. So so what made you? You know, you, you've you've been acting out here. You know, you play your music. You know, you've had a good career. What made you sit there decide? Was it was it your dream always to make a movie with your buddies? Or I mean, how does someone? It's such a. It seems like such a huge, huge, huge task to put on because you know people. You don't know you. You watch a movie on screen. You don't know these guys. They, they gotta get a script. They gotta get Steve, people. Steve, I got sucked into this. How did it happen? Inch by inch. I never, never wanted to make a movie. Are you? Are you? You're no, serious? Never was interested in directing, but I. I do like to write, and I'm in this actorless um, theater class in L.A., and my buddies and I are in it together, and uh, John Meese and I, and I, I need uh, my friend Scott Lowell. He's on Queer's Folk. He's on Broadway right, right now okay, in yeah. uh, Elephant Man. Scott Lowell needed a scene. So I was like, oh, let me write you a scene, and there were these guys in Chicago that we all knew, um, these kind of near-homeless guys. One of them we called Wigman. He he was bald. I mean, sorry, he had a full head of hair, but on top of his hair, he he wore a toupee. Okay. We called him Wigman. And then there was this guy, Tex, who wore a cowboy hat. And they were fighting on the street corner every other day. And this fight? No, no. Just like, arguing. And- arguing like, like, uh, like, like, like. Like old ladies in a way, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Just arguing and in this emotional. They were friends, and I thought, what? What are, if I were to follow these dudes home? What would they be like? Right. So, they were in the back of my mind. I'm writing a scene for a friend for the class. I wrote a scene. He, everyone seemed to like it. They said, "Hey, we want to know what happens." Fifteen weeks later, I suddenly had a script. Sent it to some some friends. They're like, you need to you need to come down to New Orleans. We're gonna we're gonna film this. Uh, they said we got a guy who wants to do it, Sean Richardson. And they said you got to direct. So I, I got sucked into this. I thought it would be fun. It was fun for a while. We shot it for two weeks. That was a blast. And then it just took over my life. The editing of it, the the re-editing, and then to find a. a a distribution company. It just—I got more and more stubborn. I, I the, the more I got into it, the more stubborn I was. I said, "I'm going to finish this movie. It looks beautiful. The acting is great. I got nothing better to do. I mean, I have a lot of jobs and stuff, but nothing that was mine." Right. It's and once you have a baby, you know, even if you don't want a baby, I, I feel like that with my own kids. Once we—I didn't want kids, but once you have them, you become passionate about them. So that's how it happened. Well, now, was it the first screenplay you've written? Because you said, like, right? Or is that, I mean, so you sat there and, and you've seen lots of scripts from acting. But, I mean, that itself is a very hard task to take on because you're, the screenplay, you're, you're basically, it's, you know, it's character driven. And, and, that, and that's got to be hard sometimes to write because, you know, we can, we can all write, like, two characters. But when you get four characters and then, I'm not going to give anything, and then the wife, you know, and you see the, the whole reactions. I mean, was that, I mean, did it just come to you? Did you start, did it start playing out in your mind when you were doing it? Yeah, you know, I'd, I was, I'm not much of a writer, but I had read long ago that Harold Pinter starts all his plays with just two guys in a room and lets them talk. And then the thing makes itself. So that's kind of what happened with me. I let these guys talk, and they talked me into a plot. 
and that's how it happened. It's kind of pretty organic. No, so now the casting, they, you knew who you were going to use. They're buddies of yours, right? Yeah. There's no one like outside, even the women, you, you didn't know any of them? No, uh, I mean, that, that's my wife. Okay. Uh, the, the, girl, the woman who plays my wife is my real life wife. Okay. Oh, yeah, so I knew everybody, yeah. There was no casting session. So you get down there, and you got you have to get the crew, and you're in New Orleans, and you know you have some scenes in a in a diner, you have scenes in a bathroom, you know it's like, and, and how do you how did you find the places to to shoot? Like, did you know someone, or did you did you pull out favors of you people because you grew up in New Orleans? Did you guys know something, or how that worked? I I know I knew I needed a diner, a classic diner with long counter I love diners. booths. Yeah, I knew I needed that. I started going into them in New Orleans and just driving around and asking people, and. They all wanted money because New Orleans is now a big film center and they're, they're pretty savvy to it now. But this one in this kind of really uh, sketchy neighborhood I walked into and the guy was like, um, yeah, I'll let, you, I'll let you have the key tonight. Just uh, you have to shoot when we're uh, closed up. In the, so when we close at four, you can have it for the rest of the day. And he was just feckless and kind and just gave us the key. So now when you, when you fed us, it's, it's awesome. But when you get it now, did, did you have to put out a plot of like, not a plot, but a plan saying, okay, we have two weeks to suit you. How did you find out two weeks? I mean, did you sit there and go, okay, cause you know, that, that's not a long time to shoot. I mean, two weeks. I mean, yeah. you sit there, I mean, it's, I'm getting my, as I said, the water damage fixed at my place. Yeah. That, that's like, it's going to take, the guy comes in this morning to start the, 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 the It's going to take thing. some time. And yeah. then, I mean, it's not bad. And it's not better. And then he's going to come in on Thursday to finish the trimming because our, our thing our window thing fell down but now for that it's two weeks i mean how did you find out about that i mean how did you decide it for two weeks did you say this is the, the budget we have or how does that happen how do you decide how long your shooting process is going to be i jumped into this thing like i said little by little and just said ah two weeks sounds good it's the movie only has what 12 scenes in it they're all very long scenes yeah, okay, yeah, so nice. it's kind of like a play so i figured you know we do um you know a scene a day will be good Something like that. So you go in, and then you're shooting it, and you're shooting it, and then, then as you're shooting it, because you just felt, as you said, you dropped into it because you, you know, yeah, sucked you, into it. Now, what was it like directing for you? I mean, was that weird because they're, they're your friends? So, it was so weird because I had all these sort of uh, ideas on how it should be, and none of these guys listened to me. <laughs> and I called my buddy John Meese, who, who was still in L.A., and I said, oh, "Dude, we're we, we're going to start." shooting in a week and rehearsals no one is listening to a word i'm saying and he knew them all too because we all went to school and he's like well are they good i was like yeah they're good he goes we'll just let them go so basically i i'd let them do what they wanted and when i was on screen those guys directed me okay they it was very collaborative it was almost it was almost like a little communist collective everyone took care of everything there were four people doing uh, crew, I was one of them. Okay, so it was very small. It was very tiny. Sean Richardson, who shot this thing, he he did lights. He did he did so much. John Meese, who acted in it, was also the art, uh, assistant director. So it was four guys doing everything. So when you get it done, okay, you have all the footage. Now what do you do? Because you have to sit there. I mean, now it's like you have the story, but now did you edit it or how did did you have? I mean. I mean, did you know how to edit, or did you? Have to I find don't know someone? how to edit, Sean. Sean, I knew from the beginning. He's like, "Yo," I said, "I got no money. No one, no one's giving us money." He's like, "I got a camera. I got an editing bay. We're gonna, we're gonna just do it." So Sean and I got together, and we would edit some, and we'd think, "Hey, we got a, we got a movie here," and then we would screen it, and we'd realize as soon as you see it on the big screen, mm. ah, this is not good. We got to go back. So I'd fly down to New Orleans and we'd just keep doing it until we thought we got a movie. Now you get the finished product. First of all, how did you get the title? What, what, King of Herrings. King of Herrings was, was from a monologue that, you know the professor in the movie? Yeah. The guy with the glasses who's trying to seduce my wife? Right. He has a long monologue when he talks about the sea and God and, and he, he mentions King of Herrings, this, this awful fish that has got a scuttle along the bottom of the sea, but he, he makes do. Um, it was we cut it. It was it, it was too poetic. Didn't drive anything. But the guys, like I said, it was a collective. They're like we we like this title, King of Earrings. Forget the fact that the monologues cut. They insisted that we keep it. Well, that's it's a good title, catchy. 
It sketches. is. Yeah, I mean, King Henry's school. Like, I'm thinking. Okay. I think know, it's bad for some reason. Really, I mean, it, it, it doesn't yeah. tell you anything. Yeah, but that's that's good because you know your your movie is character driven. Like thing. Yeah, it does sound a little like, like, like my dad used to eat uh, pickled herrings, which is but they're and it came in this jar, and I was like, and I was like, oh, as a kid. But now, now, so so you get the movie done. And so now you have the product, and you have to be proud of yourself just because I am. It's good. Yeah, it's not like you get put it together. It sucked. You know, I. Yeah. I, I, mean, I, I mean, if it sucked, I would have stopped watching it. And I would have, <laughs> I, I would have told you. It, it wasn't. You would have told me. I would have said, "You can't come on the show. Your movie sucks." Party sucked. City. <laughs> exactly. I would go. Damn I know it. you. I know you, that voice. Movie, you made a shitty movie. movie. Yeah, but so, but it was good. So now you have this movie, and now, yeah. now what do you do? I know you were in film festivals. Is that is that the way to go with it? Because I mean, you have a you have a movie. Now it's like. Like you said, it'd be like what having, do you do with yeah, it? Yeah, it's like the you have something. Thing, yeah, what is what was your first step when you had it? First thing you do, anybody does when they make an indie film, is uh, submit it to Sundance, submit it to all the festivals, and hopefully it gets in, and hopefully it will win an award. Then, then you have something you can try to sell to a distributor. That's how it works. It's. It's a drag. It takes a long time. And you got into you got into some festivals. We did. We got in. We and we not only did we get into some good ones, but we we won a couple awards. So that helped us out. Do you go to the festival or do you just sit there? Because <gasps> there's probably so many you submit. It's like you yeah. can't go to all these festivals. Did you go to any of them? I did. I went to I went to a, a handful of them. And did, did you it, win at those it, ones, dude? It's a blast. Yeah. Okay. And and it's so fun to go to these festivals. For one thing, I, I think. Everything I was able to do in terms of meeting you, distributing anything, is because I met other guys just like me who were had their films there. And they, it's, a, it's a real sort of, they're very helpful to each other. Like rock guys, you know how rock guys, you know, indie rock guys, they, they say, hey, you should play this venue, you should call this dude. Oh, yeah, well, it's Indie fun. movie makers is the same way. It's a little family. It's a friend of mine, Troy, uh, Troy Patrick Farrell. He's a drummer, and he plays in metal. I mean, he's still, you know, yeah. but he's the same way. But that's with the bands. Like, he's top of spoken bands, but it's like the same thing. It's like, you should play for this, you should play for this guy. Oh, okay, then he plays, then he plays for Gilby Clark, and then he plays for this guy. And it's the same thing with that, you know, in the venues. So now, now you, you know, you had problems with getting it released, right? Because I know we had been yeah. on tap. Now, what happens? Like, does someone say to you, like, do you, do you okay? Now you you've been to the you've been to the uh, festivals, yeah, and you get some juice. You know, people are like, yeah. you know, so now do you sit there and go, I gotta find it? And now, how do you get it to the next level? The distributor part, yeah. I, I just because you don't know because you're an actor. I mean, he said you dropped yeah, into no, this. So I don't, you don't know. know. So, so what do you do? Do you research? So I met some guys, and they said, here are the indie film distribution companies. Uh, I, I will, I will put in a good word for you. You submit it to them, and I did that. And every one of them turned us down. Uh, they wouldn't even half of them didn't even watch it because it's black and white, and they just weren't interested. They're like, we can't, we can't sell a black and white drama if it's a horror movie. Sure, right. And then this one company, Devolver Digital, not only did they watch it, but before they finished watching it. The, the acquisitions woman called me up. She's like, I'm in the middle of watching your movie. It's crazy. I love it. We, we want it. We want it. I was like, well, finish watching it and, and then let's talk. And it wounds up that, that they put it out. So I got I got lucky, you know. I just got lucky. But what happened? It kept getting your release date kept getting pushed back. Why does that happen? Oh, that happened. It's kind of boring. But why that? One of the reasons that happened was our movie kept getting kicked back from iTunes quality control because the movie, uh, if you put out a movie in HD today, it's got to have a stereo mix that's kind of like a quality control thing. Well, the guy who mixed our movie is Steven Soderbergh's guy. His name's Larry Blake. He's in New Orleans. He's an expert in sound. He, He writes books on sound. And he saw the look of the movie. He said, I want to make this a mono mix because it's old school. You know, the movie's got a early right. 60s, late 50s vibe. It's got a jazz score. So he did this. In st- he's got stereo equipment, but he panned everything, all the sound in the middle. So it kept getting kicked back from all the iTunes computers. They kept saying, it's not in stereo. And I'd have to go back. And I thought something was wrong with the movie. That took weeks. I had to redo the sound, get it all redone, only to find out that it was kicked back again because that's right. It's supposed it to be. It was designed that way. Wow. Yeah. 
So now, now, okay, I want to go back to your career now. Sorry, it's, yeah, go ahead. No, no, because because your movie came out, I wanted to talk about the movie. Thank that's you. Great, Thanks but, for uh, doing that. But you, um, okay, now you said Chicago. Now, now you graduated uh, LSU. Yeah. With a degree in acting. Yeah. And then, so, did you go straight to Chicago? I went straight to Chicago. Now, why did you choose Chicago? I think because I'd heard, um, I was a big David Mamet fan, which I think King of Herrings is kind of reminds yeah, yeah. me of a little bit, and. Um, also, New York kind of intimidated me, so I figured, hey, I'll I'll start in Chicago, do theater there, and then I'll move to New York. Um, I fell in love with a girl in Chicago, so, and never moved to New York. Well, because Chicago, yeah, because it was a big theater. Because besides Second City, I've heard there was a lot of theaters everywhere in Chicago. Tons of theater in Chicago. It's a great place for actors who want to get started. Now you're getting a lot. You're you're doing a lot of stage work up there. Yeah. Okay. Now, how long did you live in Chicago? 12 years. Okay, so you're nervous. So now what eventually made you leave Chicago? And now I know, I know. I did this commercial, uh, it, was, it was for Bud Light. It was the Yes I Am spot. And it was a, kind of a nationwide thing. And it gave me a lot of money. And, um, you know, I, not a lot, but I didn't have to keep being a waiter. And so I, qu I quit acting because I wanted to play rock music. I did that. And then the rock band didn't work out. And I was like, oh, I gotta go back to theater. As soon as I got back to theater that first year, it's kind of boring. Where was I? Oh, I get a call from my agent to audition for a movie, a Coen Brothers movie. I go in, the casting agent says, hey, are you Eddie Jemison? I was like, yeah. She says, I've been trying to get in touch with you. Your agent is not answering my phone calls. I was like, she folded. She's like, I have a script for you in my car. You're gonna be in this movie. I said, no, I know I'm auditioning for this Coen Brothers. No, she was like, no, Steven Soderbergh is directing Ocean's Eleven. He wants you to be in it. I was like, what? I don't have to audition? No. Who's in it? Oh, George Clooney, Matt Damon, all these stars. So I just literally packed up and moved to L.A. and started acting. In, I was lucky, you know, TV and theater. So you, you got that movie without an audition. Exactly. I guess you could say my audition was Steven Soderbergh lived in, in uh, Baton Rouge. All these actors that are in King of Herrings, we all worked with him when we were in college. He came to see our plays. We did little experimental films with him. So he remembered me from a film we did together uh, called Schizopolis. So now Ocean's Eleven, I mean, what is it like, you know, you're going all of a sudden, you're going on, you, you don't even have to audition and you're with the, some of the biggest stars. Yeah. I mean, what is that like? I mean, you know, because. Extremely you, intimidating. Yeah. I mean, because you're, you're a theater guy in Chicago, you know, that's what you were. And then all of a sudden, and you had the commercial. So, you know, but what, I mean, what is it like? It's your first big set, I'm guessing. It was, uh, yeah, it was basically the only set I'd ever been on. It it was crazy. It was intimidating. I was both nervous, but also because I had nothing to compare to, and I was a Chicago actor. I also had a little bit of attitude walking into it, which I was disabused of almost immediately. As soon as I walked on the set, I was like, "Oh, I'm, I, I, these guys are so cool. I, th I think I'm some this cool stage Chicago actor guy. These guys were way." smarter, right. funnier, and talented. Every one of them, Don Cheadle, wickedly funny. All of them were so funny and loose and good that I, I suddenly uh, realized I was in over my head. And it took me a long time, three movies, to finally to be able to just be comfortable in a room with those guys. So you were in all three? Yeah. And now, well, I mean, that must be great, though. I mean, because well, well, when you do the first one, you think, okay, you know, they're, we're, they're doing a remake of the, the Rat Pack one. So you're probably thinking, all right, you know, we'll, we'll do one. I mean, so, and, and that's a great thing because you got it without an audition and it's a great cast and you have a great director. Just, I mean, and it was a great movie. So you do that. And I mean, and did you ever think when you're shooting that, that they were going to do two more? I mean, that must have been <laughs> just something. And what is that like when you sit there and the movie does great and you know everyone wants to see, now everyone wants to say, hey, we want to see another one. You, I mean, you must have been on cloud nine. Well, I was. And, but you, it was a surprise because 
Steven Soderbergh is not the kind of guy that wants to do sequels. Exactly. You don't see Sex Lives videotapes in, you know, <laughs> beta or, you know, video and DVD. You know, you don't see yeah. Sex Lives. So, so, so you didn't think, you thought it was just going to be a one and done. Yeah, of course. I mean, I, I was taking one step at a time anyway. I was, I was just shocked to be doing it. And then to find out that they did another and then another, well, it was just, it was good, good fortune, you know? Now, did you get to know the guys? Yeah, kind of. When we were in Europe during the second one, we were all had to stay at the same hotel. All we would shoot till Soderbergh shoots very short. We'd be done by four p.m. We'd all be on the roof of the hotel where they had a private kind of place for these guys to hang um, till midnight. And so we did hang. We played cards. We got drunk, watched soccer, talked. They, I, I was shocked to find out. Uh, that these guys were no, how can I put it? They're big stars, right? But they're down to earth. Down to earth and insecure. And they talked in those long hours. They talked about the exact same stuff that me and my friends would talk about. The exact stuff, politics. um, Yeah, and you know what's funny when you think about it? Yeah, when you think about the insecurity, the funny thing is anyone, anyone who's in this profession is insecure. But you think you have to be insecure when you're at that level because, you know, if King of Herrings, okay, gets 80% on Rotten Tomatoes, okay, that's good. It's you know? great. Yeah. But, I'll take that. Yeah, but if they're in a movie, and that, you know, let's say they're, you know, everyone makes, their, the big stars make their flops. Clooney doesn't make any flops, really. But if you sit there, if you're in a movie, and it's crappy, Everyone, I mean, you have to be insecure because you have to make a good product. Like, if you're Brad Pitt and you make an awful movie, like when he did that one movie where he did the Irish accent, everyone's like, oh, yeah, that's the word. And, and you have to be insecure because you're like, wait a second, if I screw up, I, everyone's going to come at me. Like, if we screw up, you know, no one's going to sit there and go, oh, yeah. But here it's like, you know, you're Brad Pitt, you screw up a movie, they're going to yeah. be making comments on late night. They're gonna be, I mean, I mean, that's the thing. It's got to yeah. be an insecurity because it's got to be the pressure. And you, you're insecure to start if you're in this business. Exactly. And, and they, they're, I mean, I'm only guessing. I can't say what those guys think. Insecure is probably the wrong word. M- more like that they struggle like we do. But, but if Brad Pitt does one little thing wrong in public eye, it, it's huge. Everyone knows about this one little thing, and it, it's it's got to be dry. It's got to drive them crazy. Oh yeah, I, mean, I remember we were in the in that hotel, right? And was every, it a nice hotel? It was just so. It was nice because I think you get like the, them. You get like the top line hotel. It, it was the, all always these guys. Everything was very kind of modest. Is okay. You know what I mean? That's like, good. That's to know. the way they roll. But that's good to know. Yeah. So, so I remember um, Jerry Weintraub, the producer, said, "George, that's there's this great restaurant everyone's going to. It's right across the plaza. Let me take you tonight. Let's go." And George was saying. Oh, Jerry, I can't, I can't make that walk. He's like, what are you talking about? It's right across the plaza. He's like, Jerry, that's a long walk for me. Because from the hotel to that restaurant, nothing but paparazzi and people watching them. So I, I began to feel for these dudes, you know? They're, it's true. There's no, there's like, I mean, I saw you at Party City with your wife, okay? <laughs> now, if, if you were George Clooney and you were at a Party City, paparazzi would be outside and then on TMZ they'd say, well, why the hell is George Clooney shopping at Party City? Exactly. Maybe George Clooney likes Party City. <laughs> we went at Party City. There was a lot of good stuff. I mean, you saw the line. Look how long the line was. Party City sells good stuff. I mean, if you want to get outfits, it's, it's Halloween. Where else are you going to go? I went to Kmart. <laughs> is this they had a, a crappy selection. Party City? No, it should be. <laughs> no, I know. I, I get your point. Yeah. yeah. So now, now uh, after you're doing Ocean's Eleven yeah. and you're doing the 12 and the 13, and maybe one day they'll do the 14. Wouldn't that be great? Wow, great. What Now, in between, you're, you're auditioning for parts. Yeah. And, but it's like, do people recognize you from that movie? And does that, does, does that make it, you know, do they say, oh, do you, are you getting calls? Because people say, oh, like this is how they said, oh, you're Eddie Jemison, we're looking for you. How did, did people, did you have to still audition a lot? Or did people, some, you get some gigs because people saw you in the movie? Uh, no, I, I did get some gigs because people saw the movie. Because you have that credential. You work yeah, in a exactly. big, big budget. And I got an agent because of it which I probably wouldn't have gotten, and a manager, which I probably wouldn't have gotten. A lot of things happened easily, just simply because of that one stroke of luck. And um, even when you go in auditions, if people know you 
from Ocean's Eleven or anything, they they give you a little bit of a break. You know, when I did that when I did that TV show Hong, it was a hot show for a, a brief time. I don't know if you watched. I it. watched it. I was pissed when it got canceled. <laughs> cool, but every time I auditioned during the life of that show, people were like, "Oh, thanks for thanks for coming in, Eddie." Before I was on that show, no one ever thanked me for coming in. And because of that, I felt more comfortable. I did better. I got more jobs. So it really is like a, it's like the good do well. Now, now, now with the jobs also, you know, you said you were in that Bud campaign. And yeah. now, now, did people recognize you from that? Because I've heard. Oh yeah, I hated that, but they did. Yeah. No, I mean, I've heard. I, I know the guy. Uh, this guy Don McMillan. He was. He played the guy, the Bud guy, who would push the. Uh, the card around and he went to the Super Bowls and it was, sure. he was an, and he went to a few Super Bowls and he was the you know national spokesman he said the difference is he's in other commercials but when you do a Bud commercial it's all drunk guys who who, <laughs> who notice you now did you have a lot of drunk guys like if you went out that they yes. go hey man and they probably repeat exactly what you said in the commercial exactly I I, I I couldn't go out to a bar without somebody saying yes I am and and taking whatever beer I was drinking and giving me a a Bud Lighter. In fact, um, I disliked it so much. It made me so uncomfortable that I quit the campaign because of it. And um, now how does that, I mean, does that, you're, you're, you're giving up a lot of cash when you do that. Was I, it, just- it was a stupid thing to do. I was young and idealistic. And I just kept saying no. And once I started saying no, I got addicted to it. You know, Bud Light would say, would you do another one? I'd say no. Um, TriStar said would you do a, a tv show with you as that character i was like no and i, I kind of messed up my career for a while but i i was trying to protect you know what i thought was called the artistic integrity which doesn't exist anymore no but I, now everyone's in commercials but I, I see what you're saying because it, it's like you know that that's the kind of when there's a tag like a catchphrase it's like the guy can you hear me now that guy can you hear me now sure i mean he like left the business completely because bottom line is you you would get pigeonholed you would be that that guy and it's funny you could have a show about the yes i am guy but that show is going to last a yeah. season because you're not going to be into it because you know you're you're a trained actor and you're not like wait a second i don't want to be a yes i am guy i'm eddie jemison sure know? now have you, have you been on letterman a few times I, yeah, okay. I was. Come on, because I, I read your Wikipedia, and I always got to worry about sure. Wikipedia is wrong. Now, what were you? What were you on Letterman for? Uh, for the Yes I Am thing. So did you? It was a cultural phenomenon. I, mean, I think uh, Bill Clinton even said it. Did he have you on sit TV down at the time? No. Okay. I did some bits behind him, and I didn't sit down. Now, all the time doing this, the music. I know you're, you're big into music, and uh, now when did you start playing music? As a young kid, or how could you sit? No, you did- I started in my late twenties. And in fact, the, I started playing music because I wasn't getting cast enough, and I thought I got to do something that just feels uh, creative. So I started writing songs, and then right at, during that Yes I Am thing, when I quit, I'd started a band, and I thought, well, I'll do this f- for as long as I can. So that's really when it started back back then. And who were some? Of your, what like what kind of music did you listen to growing up? I mean, what were your influences? Uh, the, uh, the Beatles. Um, I love anything with sort of that kind of uh, early '60s melodic vibe to it. Now, did you, did you, what, what instrument do you play? Guitar. So, did you? I mean, you started late, so it's just pretty cool that you started late. But you yeah, have a I'm band. not. I'm not very good. I'm a poor guitarist. But was but, it was it was it hard to learn? I mean, because you know, it's it's like I, I tried to play guitar and I was awful. Yeah. But learning later in life, because we have so much, we're, we're stubborn. I mean, sure. you know, if I tried to pick up a guitar now, I'd be like. You know, it's like I try to play the Wii, and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, screw this, man. I, you know, I play a video game. Was it hard for you? Was it frustrating? It was hard. It was frustrating, and and I learned just enough to uh, get by. So now, now, do you, how do you get a band together? Do you sit there and you, is it guys you know? I mean, cause, oh, it was guys you know who liked Elvis Costello, who liked the Beatles. You know, we're like, oh, we should start a band. Guided by Voices is a band. They're all in their their forties. We're not that old. Let's start our own. Just knucklehead stuff you do when you're young and creative. So as you're acting after the Ocean's Eleven, you're, you know, you're doing guest spots in different places. And then you're sitting there and then there's no, what was self-storage? <laughs> I, I, I'm looking at your IMDb. Self-storage was a, uh, probably the first web series I'd ever heard of. Okay. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, Julie Mann, said, we wrote 
we're going to do this thing called a web series. Would you do it? And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And it was a blast, actually. It was very funny. So what, what, what was your role? What was I played a manager of a storage facility where two young girls had been reduced to live in as their apartment. Okay. And it was me just sort of terrorizing them. Were you a jerk? No, I was not a jerk. More like um, I was mad because they were in the. You can't live in a storage facility. They were always trying to dupe me, and I was I was, I was strange. But it's funny. I was though, attracted to them because because you're you're a jerk in King of Hearts. Yeah, I was. A you're jerk. a real jerk. I, I didn't I like know. you. I didn't like you at all. Did it ruin the movie for you? No, no, it didn't. No, it didn't ruin it. No, not at all. Okay, because because I, I do wonder. No, no, it, no, you're just a jerk. But like anything, you know, there, there's always movies there's a jerk. You know, you need, no, you need your antagonist. You know, you need sure. just, but yeah, I mean, just like, you know, and yeah, I mean, no, no, I didn't ruin it at all. Because I, I love that kind of stuff. It, it just was good, but you played it very good. Because I was sitting there going, I said, I hope he doesn't like come and try to start pushing me around in the studio. Because <laughs> I was ready to start pushing me around. So, uh, but no. That's not true. No, I know. But no, no, you were, no, you, I know you want to push me because you're a nice guy. But now, okay. So now how did Hung come about? Because it's funny. Was, Hung was one of those shows, and as I said, I watched it. I'm a big Showtime guy. Um, I, wa- I watched Lie to Me, and I, I started watching uh, Shameless, but I, I fell behind, and I, I didn't catch up. But Hung was just, and did you know, I mean, when you went in to read for it, did you know it was going to be? No. Or how did that happen? And what did your agent I, say? Because it's such a, 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 just a different name. I mean, it's just, you know, it's funny. I mean, and it, it's the, the, the. But if the the plot is sure. just it's the so premise. different the premise the it's premise so yeah a guy with it but a huge who's hung yeah yeah and then he goes and it's and you know so how did it happen did your agent say we got this part and did you sit there and go what the hell's hung you know, <laughs> <laughs> well you know I, I wanted to do that audition so badly because Alexander Payne the director w- did the pilot and he's so well respected oh, yeah. And I was so intimidated. And the part I auditioned for at the time was a completely different part than I got cast in. What kind of part did you audition for? I, it was it was just a smaller part, a much smaller part. And I went in and uh, Alexander Payne said, go take this and go audition for the husband. So I, I because I didn't have time to study it, I didn't freak out. I was loose and I happened to do well and just got through the back door and then we did the pilot and the next thing I know they said, oh, this is going to be a regular. So I slid in through the back door of Hong in that way. Well, what's it like? I mean, when you sit there, I mean, it must be a great feeling because you go from just thinking it. it's one part to saying you're going to be a regular and the character there is, you know, he's gone through that. I mean, it's it's good acting. I mean, and it's going, you're going through, you know, you have, you have the hot wife who is, who is, I mean, <laughs> I mean it, yeah, I mean, it, she looks great. And then she was married, you know, then he was, you know, the high school kid, you know, yeah. and then you're a, a successful, uh, you're a plastic surgeon or a dentist? Uh, uh, a dermatologist. Dermatologist. Right? Yeah. So what's that like to play? Cause right. You're sort of, you know, I mean, you have, it's a big range. It's like, cause, cause. We don't want to like you, yeah. But you, but you're not doing anything wrong. That's the one thing that's funny about it. It must be yeah. hard to act because you have to be. The audience doesn't want to like you because yeah. we're all rooting for Tom Jane. Or whatever. Sure, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But but the the thing is, in actuality, you're not doing anything wrong. You're just being a. It's, it, it's Anne Hayes doing everything wrong. Yeah. So what is that like to play that kind of part? Because you really have to be different and to know that people may not like you it must be going to the screen <laughs> I never thought of it that way but it's true because we you did nothing wrong but the, we don't want to like you because we liked him sure and, and he's what's the that, lead of the show yeah and what's that like to act as a rival right yeah why, why, what's that like to act where you sit there and you go I'll get a rival and is it is there ever uh, like a static on the set just because you guys are good actors and competing with each other that's a that's a great question there was no static on the set because of that I don't think Thomas Jane could ever look at me and think of me as a serious rival. Right. So <laughs> I think he's a handsome guy. Yeah, he's so he's good looking. Big. And he's big. Yeah. He, well, actually, he's not that big. Uh, he looks. He looks I bigger. Mean, he, he's not that tall. I should okay. Say. But he's big. Though. But he's he's well built guy. So I don't think he ever saw me as a rival. He he was you know very. No, I mean no. But friendly. your characters. I mean for acting. Yeah. No. It for the acting part. Um. Boy. It. it it just it's always in the it's not it never gets personal it's always in the realm of play you know he's an actor i'm an actor we wanted to have fun we knew we knew the scenes that that pitted us against each other we're gonna have fireworks because they they did write our they wrote the male parts in that show really well 
the, I think I completely, my character fell apart by the end of the show. I mean, just literally went crazy. So it was always, you know, you're always just ha- having fun and, and trying to think of how do I make it work so it never gets really personal. Now, what's it like because you're shooting on Showtime and Showtime HBO. and HBO. Show, oh, wait, no, no, it's Showtime. Was it HBO? HBO, yeah. Oh, was it? Yeah, because that, that, that followed uh, um, the one with Ted Danson. And, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. So you're shooting on HBO. Yeah. I, I, thought, I didn't think it was Showtime. I'm going crazy. Yeah. Um, so, so you're shooting on that. And now it must be great because if you're going to get cast in a, in a show that's a half an hour, it must be great because it's HBO because you can curse if you want. You can, you can, I mean, I mean, it's like, it's not like if you sit there and go to the, if it was the yes, I am on the, the WB, if you had shot that, you'd have been like, oh my God, I can't yeah. say this. What's that like when you basically have a creative reign? It must be a great feeling. Oh dude, it's great being on a show because you know that you're going to have a character that you're going to do several times a week you know that's a great feeling it's a certain kind of security it's like being in a play i get to explore this guy um that's a great feeling um to hbo being in a sort of a drama weird comedy that's always fun too because it's exactly kind of stuff i like to watch that's to my taste so it was a good feeling knowing that we were going to do some quality stuff and um Cursing? Yeah, I like to curse. Everyone likes to curse. Yeah, the only part was having to get naked. That knowing that I was like, they're never gonna make me get naked. But sure enough they did. And that 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 that's the only the only feeling that of uh insecurity i felt how do they tell you oh, it's great how do they, do they okay so let's say they called me up and the, the they say you're gonna get naked he's like um how do you <laughs> how do you feel about getting naked and i said uh not 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 good and they said well it's HBO. You're, you're going to be naked. <laughs> <laughs> so then you start negotiating how naked. Now, what's that like shooting a scene being naked? I mean, I've heard it's very unintimate. Cause well, I was with Anne Hayes, you know? Right. So she's funny. I don't know if you know that about her. I, no, she she's seems funny. like she'd be funny. And uh, the, the simulated sex stuff was, it was always funny. Now, there's, 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 your wife get jealous about something like that? Like, does oh, she God. sit there and go, wait a second, you're getting naked with Anne Hayes? I mean, is that something that, is there static? I mean, do people, I mean, because I know you're acting, I know she's an actress, but it's still, it's like, you're still, you're still, you're rubbing against a boob. Yeah. I mean, let's get be honest. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. did, did, did it bother her at all? No. Laura, Laura was just so glad that I had a job. Okay. <laughs> she's like, get more naked. <laughs> Take it off. Don't have it on. As long as your money's coming in. I was like, no one wants to see me. But she, um, Laura, Laura was a good sport about it. She doesn't get jealous. She's in King of Herrings. Um, right. She's, yeah. Okay. And you're her husband. And now yeah. she, has she been an actress? Did you meet her through acting? Or how yeah, we met her? in a Shakespeare play in Chicago. Oh, so you've been together for a while. Yeah. Okay. Uh, our 10-year anniversary was this year. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. That's Thanks. good. So now, when Hong was going well, mm-hmm. it was getting good reviews. Are people recognizing you? Are they sitting there going, Yeah, and still people do. What's I'm that like? shocked. Like, because you you go from getting noticed to the Yes I Am guy okay. well, to now people that are intelligent because you, you had to be, you, I mean, and I'm, I'm not mean mean to people who don't watch shows like that but you you you, know, you have to be somewhat intelligent to watch a show like that else you're not going to get it i mean it's a whole well, different kind of crowd it's like your friend said when i got noticed by the 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 beer drinking yes i am guys they were drunk people in bars you know and and it wasn't fun and then the second time when when i did oceans it was great being recognized but it was always you know young boys 13 year old Right. <laughs> it was still great but then when Hong came out and I'd be recognized it would be my contemporaries and it would be people that I knew really watched TV, TV and m- movies uh, how should I say carefully do you know what I mean thoughtfully so it felt better each time well, yeah because it's, it's something that you appreciate that show because it was a good show yeah and so now it. but went... I don't want to be a snob either because oh, yeah, no, yeah, I love what anyone especially now says hey do i know it's usually they don't know my name but they're like I, where where who's this guy well if, if king of herrings becomes a big hit you know what people are gonna come up and punch you in the face they're gonna punch you in the face they're gonna go we don't like you we don't like you and they're gonna punch you in the face and you know what i will love it see okay well, i will take that punch <laughs> you're like yes now now it was on hung was on for one and a half seasons or how long was she, it on? three seasons so now okay so it was getting Good reviews and a great cast, by the way. Everyone, yeah, it was great. You cast. guys were all great across, but everyone did great, and and it was a thing. Now, 
it was at a time when HBO, I think, canceled that, Bored to Death, and, and uh, How to Make It in America. Mm-hmm. All I watched all those shows, which I was pissed. I was like, wait a second, how does how does it sit there when you're getting good reviews? You know, you I mean, it's not it's not like someone's going, oh, this show sucks. It's getting good reviews. It's well written. You have the first season on your belt. You have the second season on your belt, and it seemed like it got canceled out of nowhere. I mean, is that is that what happened? Well, uh, for me, it was a little different because I I don't know if you remember, but by the end of season two. They were they were killing my character off. Okay. They were writing me off. So I just had one or two episodes in the third season. So uh, I can't share in the the way they felt about it because I I was already kind of go on my own way. Well, what's that feel like when they're going to kill you off? Because oh, dude, it was terrible I feeling. Mean, yeah, because I mean, you're, you're having fun. You're only two season. It must have been. You're probably getting along with everyone. It was great. I was so happy and. Uh, how do they make that call? Does your agent tell you, or how does no, it happen? No, I have to say, they handled it really poorly. I found out, or suspected, during the reading of the last, the very last reading, at the table, uh, season two, and I was like, man, I'm reading it for the first time, and I'm like, am I getting rid of, written off the show? It just seems that way. And then I, I asked them, all summer waiting for the next season to come out and they kept saying no we love you you're you're great and when it's time to sign a contract they're like oh yeah we, we you're not going to come back see that must but be- then they asked me to come back after they did that, so it was pretty bad feeling. Yeah, it must be weird because you're used to it, you know, and you're and it's the show's still going. But then they just pulled that plug on that show out of nowhere. It's a shame that they did that, and but it, they you know, did. But so, so then after that, the show gets uh, you, you're you're killed off, which you know it, you know it must be bombed. And I guess some people are probably pissed because you had that interaction. Because then you're pulling a, a component out of a working. Uh, thing so when you're going at the, when you're gone what do you do then then are you, are you are you mad at the business or do you sit there i mean because you got to be a little bit ir- i mean i would be a little irritated i mean if, if if i sat one time the computer cut off some guy tried to load a show on here and it was a different show i was hosting with the two other guys and i i was pissed and that was only over one show and i kicked the trash can and i yelled i mean did you did you get pissed at the business i, I you know what i did i i was a little pissed but i i wound up questioning myself a lot like what did I do to deserve this? And I just went through my head and I even talked to some of the writers like, and they're like, no, it's got nothing to do with you. So I mostly got bummed out. And then, you know, just, just, just what you do is you just start auditioning again and, and get more jobs. And as soon as you get the next job, you kind of forget all about it. Well, you did Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, for two episodes, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what was that like? Cause I've never watched a show. My girlfriend, oh, you've never seen that show. I, you know what? It doesn't interest me. Dreamy doesn't interest me. I'll be honest. Joanne watches it and she's like, and she knows. See, my girlfriend's good about this when she moved out. Yeah. You know, she watched a lot of TV and we've we, uh, DVR it. And so she knows. She still watches a lot of TV? Well, yeah. I mean, we'll hang out. Like, she'll, you know, you know she wants to watch her shows. She likes her sure, shows. She's you know? got her shows, right? And, uh, and I'm like, I'm not, there's no way in hell I'm watching Bones or Grey's Anatomy. I don't, <laughs> don't want to see them. So what she does, she records them. And then, like, on a Saturday, I'll sit there and I'm like, you know, I'm gonna go, you know. I'm gonna go down and meet my friends for a beer. Okay, I'll watch one of my shows. Sure. And, she watched, and that's the thing. So she loves Grey's. Now that must, have, you know, if you were on two episodes. Now, did you did you get recognized off that at all? Because, no, no. Now what's that shoot like Grey's? Because you're working with Patrick Dempsey, who you know is a, is a very handsome guy. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> the best part was my my daughter, who's was at the time I think like six, was obsessed with this movie that Patrick Dempsey was the lead in a Disney movie called Enchanted. Okay. The best thing about it was I said, Patrick Dempsey, my daughter is obsessed with you. And he just he just brightened up. He was like, oh, he didn't want to hear about McDreamy. He loved that this little girl loved him in this Disney film. And he actually was very good in it. See, that's cool, though, because it seems like what, what I'm getting from you is, you know, someone like Patrick Dempsey, even like the guys when you work with Clooney and the guys, it's good to know that these, a lot of these big stars are just pretty, just, down-to-earth guys. I mean, it seems like, you know, they're just down-to-earth guys. That's been my my experience. My experience, and I hate to say something like this because I'm, I'm a populist, but it seems the bigger the star that, to me, that I've met, the the less complications, the cooler they were. Oh, everyone says that. That's not just you. I mean, it's okay. true. Everyone, I mean, it's true. And I've noticed that, you know, with guests, when we trying to get a guest, you know, it's like, I'll try to get a guest who hasn't hardly had hardly any credits. They don't respond. I sent a message to uh, 
Radon Chung because mm-hmm. she's going to be in town next week. And she's like, sure, I'll come in. So, yeah, and she she was shoot. I mean, you know, it's like that's the thing. The, the people are nice. The more credits it seems people have, the nicer they are. I think because they've been through it and they're like, you know what? Hey, if we can promote something, we never know. It's you know. <laughs> so with the, the band now, I, I saw pictures of you now. Now, what what kind of music does your band play when you play? We we have a new band. We're going to have our debut gig on Saturday. This Saturday. Oh uh, yeah, this Saturday, the twenty fourth. Where are you playing? At um, Tex T A I X. It's a French restaurant with a lounge in it. They have indie bands play in, in Hollywood lounge. or in uh, Echo Park. Okay, yeah, it's a cool place. But yeah, we play. Uh, we're called the Light Jacket. We play kind of Beatles, Everly Brothers, sixties influenced stuff. But it's all original. Now, do you you write the music or do you? I, I'm a co-writer. Vance DeGeneres is uh, he, he's a co-writer of the music and co-singer as well. Now, do you write? Because I always because the whole music writing and singing fascinates me. Do you write the lyrics or do you write the 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 tunes or what? Or do you guys split it? Because and because you said you're not that good of a guitar player. No, I'm not. Then how can you write good music? That's just that's weird. <laughs> and how's that happen? Well, you know, to write songs, just to write melody and. And lyrics, you don't have to be able to play licks and guitar stuff. Um, Vance can play anything, and, and our guitarist, David Gibbs, can too. Um, you know, we'll collaborate, we'll write songs apart, and then we'll collaborate, he'll say, hey, I got this great chorus, I need a bridge, or I need some uh, some uh, a verse or two for it. And he'll, he'll email it to me, and I'll, I'll work it up and say, what do you think about this? Now, do you sing? I do, yeah. Now, have you always sung? Like, did you know? Did you do any musical theater when you were down in uh, no. LSU? No, dude. This this is hardly worth talking about. My musical aspirations are are. are, are I think it's, it's a great hobby, though. and I love it. I think it's great because you actually. I know people who play instruments, and they they sit there and they play at home. They don't do crap. I go, why? Why don't you play with this person? You know, we know a guy who plays drums. Why don't you? Oh no, no, no I don't want to. Well, then don't sit there and say you know don't criticize someone's guitar playing when they have the balls to get on stage and you yeah. know. And I think it's great because I mean it's, you, you got people to. It's so proactive. That's it's cool. It's like you know. Well, come see us on. Saturday. I may. I yeah, see what's up. I'd I, love for you to see. I gotta see. I gotta see. I gotta see. I don't know. What, I, we may have plans Saturday. I don't even know. I, let me find out though, because we always look for cool stuff to do. So now, now the movie. Now when you, it's on iTunes now, the movie. Mm-hmm. So now it's now people sit there and they can watch it. Now do people have you gotten feedback from anyone who's watched it besides uh, like besides your friends? Who, I mean, your friends too. Your friends give me feedback. Do they give you nice feedback? Are they honest with you, or what do they tell you? Yeah. Um, because it's been in the festivals for, I don't know, a year and a half, and you know it was at the the Man's Chinese Theater, I don't, or the Chinese Theater. What was that like? There's like 300 people there. Yeah, what was that a like? A lot to of go people in, have seen it. It was great to see it on the. I mean, it's thing is, you know, like anything, you know, it's a legendary theater, and let's get you know, and to to sit there as someone, and because you are the driving force behind it, because you did co-write it. I mean, you wrote it, you co-directed, and you you co-star in it. What's that like to sit there, you know, and you know, you've had you know, you've been in a hit series, you've been in a national commercial, yeah. but this is a, a project that you, as you said, you sort of fell into. Yeah. What's it like to actually sit there and then you see it in the legend, I mean, legendary-wise, the theaters don't get bigger. Steve, I was freaking out. I was like, I've invited everybody I know. There's 300 people here. It's a huge theater. The screen is huge. I've never seen a movie Most beautiful big. bathrooms ever in a theater. <laughs> no, they're like, there's beautiful tons of bathrooms. them. bathrooms. Uh, no, you walk in, it's like, you sit there and go, this is Hollywood history. I mean, that's not, it's not a joke. It's like, you go in and you go, that's just one that, that looks good. I mean, yeah, the theater's beautiful. Yeah, and I was freaking out because I'm like, this is an indie movie. I don't know if it even belongs in this glorious theater. And within the first two minutes, because it's a big crowd... The, they watch the movie differently. Everything that was funny about the movie that you don't even notice when you watch it on your computer was echoed. Someone would laugh, someone here, and then everyone got clued in and, in on it, like almost like a hive mentality. But 20 minutes in, people were laughing, and I was like, this is the best experience ever. Now, what was it like? I mean, as you said, nervous. What is it like, though, for you to, when you watch it, because it is a landmark in your career it's a great it's a great thing you've done but but could you when you're watching it do you sit there and you want to enjoy it but then you got to sit there and go you got to be nervous i mean i was so nervous and when they laugh it's probably like yeah but then you're probably like okay is the momentum going to keep going was exactly was it did it make it harder to watch i sweat every second of it and i didn't even want to be sitting there but 
I had to know. I had to know how bad, how good, how is this? Now, how did it end up playing there? I'm saying it. It was fantastic. I'd never. Now, it, how did you get it there to play? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. It was. It got accepted into um, Dances with Films um, Festival. That did. They do it every year, and they show their films there. Now, when people were walking out, yeah, were you hanging out saying thank you, thank you? And how do you handle that? Because <laughs> it's one of those things. that's like you know, when I did comedy, you know. You know, if you have a good set, you're like, yeah, thank you. If you have a crappy set, they want you to hang out. You're like, I don't want to hang out because they're like, this guy sucked. I mean, was, was it cool to, to have people sit there and shake your hand and say, I really I, enjoyed it? I posted myself at the door and just shook every single person's hand because I mostly just wanted to thank them for coming. I mean, just for being an audience. So I was thanking them. It took some of the pressure off me. And also, like, uh, you know, they, they came to see my movie. So thank you. I, I wasn't. Not that I'm not interested whether they had a good time or not. It's just that I didn't want them to feel like they had to say say. You know, it's that's up to them. You know, I put you in a spot a little bit because I was curious. Like, is my character such an asshole that this movie is not enjoyable? No, no. I, I, I'm honest with that. Yeah, I mean, and the thing is, he's an asshole. But but you don't sit there. I, I had a friend of mine was on a TV show where he played. A, he asked me the same thing. He played on a Law and Order SVU, just this disgusting guy. Yeah. And he said he sent me a message back, and he said, uh, "Did it affect how you looked at?" It? I said. I said, I, you did a great job. Just, you're an asshole. And he said, he goes, thanks. Because he was right. He goes, was I too much of it? I said, no. I said, look at your role. You're playing a pedophile. I hated you. I know you. I felt when you broke down, I sat there and I felt bad. I felt bad that you felt awful. But I was like, I don't care that you felt awful because you felt bad. And it doesn't take away from it. That's the thing. It's, it's like, hard to get behind a pedophile. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, we have a few minutes left. Yeah, uh, sure. Uh, this flew by. See that? Because we're talking, we're talking with uh, Eddie Jemison. I like the last name. Anyway, Thank so you. so now how can uh, how can people find out about the movie? I mean, how can they find all that stuff out? You can go to iTunes and type in King of Herrings, or you can go to our website, kingofherrings.com, and there's a link to the movie if you want to rent it or buy it. And, uh, you know, uh, please do. And now, is there a trailer they can find anywhere? Yeah, there's a, tra- there's a trailer on the website. There's a trailer on... Um, iTunes has okay. a trailer. It's easy to check out the trailer. Are you tweeting about it? Do you tweet? Yeah, I've been tweeting all day. I, what's your What's your Twitter handle? Is it Is it King of Herrings? Or? No, it's uh, Eddie Jemison. On Twitter or Facebook? Twitter, okay. yeah. Because I see your Facebook post, but you That's have your the kids same. up. You have your Jemison. kids up. And yeah, saying, I was funny. using my kids. He's using his kids to say, if you don't get this movie, our dad's going to spank us, <laughs> which I think is funny, but you know there's some idiot out there who's like, oh my God, I can't believe you're doing that. You're subjecting your kids. That's why <laughs> I hate The kids it. think it's hilarious. I know, but, and it is, but you know you know how people are. Like, they oh know, my God, yeah. this and this, this. Yeah, no, I do know how people are. You yeah. know, so yeah. so what else, what's, what's coming up in the near future besides the movie? Well, I have this movie called... Um, called uh, June that I acted in. It's a horror movie that's coming out uh, by this new director, Gustavo Cooper. And then there's a film um, by a guy named Adam Orton and called Summerland Project, which is like a uh, futuristic uh, thriller. All right, well, good. You got to check it out. And I want to thank you for coming on. It's at, it's at, it's at E-D-D-I-E-J-E-M-I-S-O-N on Twitter, right? So follow him on Twitter. Follow him. Uh, check his stuff out on Facebook. He's not going to hit his kids. Don't worry. It's, he's, he's a nice guy. <laughs> and do see the movie. And I'm not just saying this because, you know, he's here in the studio. But it was good because you always sit down. People tell me to watch stuff. And sometimes, you know, you sit there and you go, oh, my God. You know, but this, I sat down and I had it on the computer and it captivated me. And I sat there and I watched it. And I was like, this is pretty good. I said, this is good and it was black and white and I said it's on a smaller screen and when you can watch something on a smaller screen you know it's good because on your TV I'm used to have a 51 inch downstairs so I'm used to watching it like that but when you watch on a small computer you know it's going to be good because it keeps you in so check that out okay people also uh, follow me on Twitter uh, besides following Eddie Jemison if you're not following me follow me at Cooper Talk that's at Cooper Talk also go to my website coopertalk.net I have uh, I think I'm posting an episode later today I have 350 no 334 episodes up you can also find all those episodes if you go to iTunes or Stitcher type in one word Cooper Talk and you can find them there also email me at cooper at indie100.com and uh, check your keep following me on Twitter because in about a month my cookbook Stop the Salt How to, uh, Low Sodium Cooking for One Without Killing Yourself will be coming out uh, the website will be stopthesalt.com you can check that out and we'll find it you can order it on Amazon and the 
get it on the Kindle when it comes out. It's a little cookbook about what I how I ate when I got out of the hospital. You know, without Joanne, before she moved out here, I had to eat healthy, and it's very easy. It's 120 recipes, and it's good, and it makes cooking fun. There's no pictures. You can't get intimidated. Just go look. You learn how to cook. If you can't figure out how to cook after this, don't cook because you're basically an idiot. And I also want to give a shout-out to the, some of those stations that are playing me, some great networks. Keep listening to the Internet Radio. Go to allradiox.com, Brody James, Brady, Brody James over there is great. He has some great lamps of shows. WildfireRadio.com. I'm starting there next Saturday. There's some great shows. It's a South Jersey station. Big Daddy Graham's got a show. Joe Matarese has a show. Baseball player Mitch Williams has a show. Also go to RentRadio.com. WSDIChicago.com. Check Steve Benz out. He's got some great tunes. And the 405Media.com. You can check them out. Listen to listen to other radio. You know, listen to podcasts because it's good for us because, you know, we keep entertaining you guys. Anyway, follow Eddie Jemison on Twitter. Follow me at Steve Cooper, at Cooper Talk. And I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. Have a great weekend. Thanks, man.